Thank you, Erin. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's wonderful to have all of you here. Um, I'm so glad Jacques spoke about why we come here, because we always arrive here, I think, with mixed things going on in our lives. And what I love about God is that he's everywhere. If you came here on an incredible high, if you came here in the depths of despair, if you feel like God is very distant, if you feel like God is close, all of that doesn't really matter because God is with us. We've been talking about living a life as if God was with us. We've been talking about living a life the way God wants us to live. We've used the word shalom a lot, completeness, wholeness. And this morning, it's my privilege to end the series about living life the way God designed it to be lived. How do we manage our world the way God wants it to be managed? I want to show you a picture and ask you the question, why? Why are those two people in white doing what they do? The person they are treating is an Ebola patient. I know we're all a little bit tense about the coronavirus at the moment. Coronavirus actually isn't that bad. It spreads very quickly but it has a massive survival rate. Very few people die of coronavirus. That man's got Ebola. He's got a 10% chance of surviving. Why are those two people risking their lives for somebody who is almost definitely going to die? There's another question I want to ask you. What do you think is one of the things that baby most needs. That baby is in an incubator. It is a premature baby. It is getting all the medical help that it possibly could. But there is one thing that it desperately needs that medical science in itself can't give it if it's going to survive and live a full life. And do you know what that is? It's human contact. It's human contact. A baby like that, simply left in an incubator with all the medical interventions in the world, unless the nurses reach in and touch it, unless the parents are allowed to touch it, unless the doctors and those treating it from time to time hold it and, and, and it feels another human being will almost inevitably die. That is amazing. That is amazing. Why is it that we as human beings will risk our lives to, to try and save other human beings who are almost definitely gonna die? And why is it that, that a newborn human being must, in order to survive, have physical contact with other human beings? Why? It's simple. Because at the core of what it is to be human is to be 
in relationships. That, that human beings, when we were created, were created not just to exist, but to exist and live in relationship with other human beings. The truth is, I can't imagine any single thing that we could do that would have the biggest impact on the world than getting our relationships right. I mean, time management is good and, and, and we must use time the way God wants us to and, and that, that is good. And all the other stuff that we've talked about is good and right. But I think that if we as human beings got relationships consistently the way God wants them to be, it would have the biggest impact in the world of anything that we could change. Nobody would be lonely. Nobody would be hungry. Nobody would be destitute. Nobody would re be rejected. We would live the way God intended us to live. All other human activity that we do, everything, our work, our studies, everything is meant to support us so that we can be in relationship with other people. That's what all human activity does. It, it enables us to live in, in relationship with other people. It's not just a human thing. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, right there, right there, God says, let us make man in our image. That tells you right up front that God, in God's essence, is a relationship. In God's essence, there is a relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God says when he makes mankind in his image, he makes them male and female. Two, they need each other. Not only do they need each other, they must connect. Otherwise they're not fulfilling the image of God. You see, getting relationships right isn't simply because we as human beings are made to do that. It's nice to know that, but, but actually we've got to begin to do it. And we need to begin in the right place. You see, I believe that at the core of all human relationships, at all relationships the way God intends us to have them, there is a love triangle. There is a love triangle that you and I have to live out if we're going to get our relationships with one another right. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You see, what Jesus is saying is that our relationships that we have between each other can never be seen in isolation. There are three relationships that we have to get right in order to get any relationships right. There is our relationship between us and God. This is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And then the second one, he says, is like it. It's, it, it hangs onto it. And if you get those two things right, all the law and prophets are fulfilled. And what that means is that the law and the prophets were there to teach us how to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so, so if you do that, you live a life pleasing to God. But you notice that there are two other loves that are connected to our love for God. Our love for our neighbor and our love for ourselves. We've got to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. That's the measure of how much we must love God. And the measure of how we should love other people is how much we love ourselves. So I think that so often we get human relationships wrong because we think we're not supposed to love ourselves or because we think we are not worthy of love. And so, so we, we, we can't love other people well. Perhaps we've been taught you're not supposed to love yourself. Jesus commands it. We've got to love God. We've got to love our neighbor. And we've got to love ourselves. Here's another real problem I have. Because as I read the Bible, it seems to me to tell me that I have to love everyone. That neighbor thing, that neighbor thing, people always talk to Jesus, try and narrow it down. But, but he broadens it. You've got to love your brothers and sisters. You've got to love your friends. You've got to love your family. You've got to love your enemies. And I've got to tell you why I'm really excited about preaching this sermon this morning. I feel that as I prepared the sermon, for the first time in my life, I've honestly discovered some of God's tools that will in fact enable me to love absolutely everybody. Because I've always thought, you know, what about those, you know, what about the guys on the Solomon Islands? How can I love that? Well, I honestly believe that, that God's word tells us how we can even love those people and have a right relationship with them. See, I'm not naive, but I really do believe that God calls us to love absolutely everybody. But we can't have a close personal relationship with everybody. In fact, we actually shouldn't have a close personal relationship, we can't. It's, it's impossible, you would spread yourself too thin, you would die of worry and concern because oh, there are so many people. But we really, really can, if we live the way Jesus calls us to live, we really can live and act in ways that will lead us to love everybody and in fact make other people's lives better, everybody 
even the people we will never meet. The truth is Jesus' life is the perfect example of loving everybody. That famous verse that perhaps everybody who's ever spent any time in Sunday school knows, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That verse just says that God loved the world. And I'm sure that the apostle John, as he wrote those words down, didn't know that on the other side of the world was a continent called Australia or that there was a place called Antarctica, or there was a place that would one day be called South America and North. He didn't know that. He just knew that there was a world around the Mediterranean. And, and, and I think when he wrote that, that's what he thought because, but that's not what God meant. What God meant was, I love the whole world. And so I'm going to send my son. I'm going to go into the world to one place. And from that place, he, as a human being who will live for 33 years, will love the whole world. Because we are God's children, we are called to do the same, to love the whole world. I want to give you three biblical principles this morning that I think if we live them out will enable us to have better relationships with everybody in the whole world. That will enable us to, like Jesus, love the whole world, even the people we've never met, but especially the people that are right up close and personal to us that we can touch every day. Here's the first principle that I think God teaches us about truly being in relationship with other people, in, with everybody, with our loved ones and with the whole world, it's this. The principle of turning towards. The principle of turning towards other people. Now if you've been in Rich and Cindy's marriage course, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about now. You see, I'm convinced it doesn't just apply to marriages. I'm convinced that these things apply to everybody. We live in a world that teaches us to turn away from people. Those people aren't godly, turn away from them. Those people may be dangerous, turn away from them. Those people are are not like us, turn away from them. Those people threaten us, turn away from them. This person is too much work, turn away from them. All the time, turn away, they are evil. Turn away from them, they can do nothing for you. Turn away. Rich tells me that in a successful marriage, partners are always turning towards each other for help. When something bad happens, they turn towards each other. And and for a marriage to be successful, 70% of those turning towards must be accepted. And and you've seen it. When a crisis happens in a relationship, often two people handle it very differently. And instead of turning towards each other, they turn away and they start blaming each other. But it's not just in marriages that happens, it happens all the time. 
I failed at school because them. I haven't got a job because them. I turn away from people all the time. This is not the way of God. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2 about the crisis that human beings are experiencing. Separation from God, willfully sinning against God and turning our backs on him and saying we're gonna do our thing. How does God respond to that? Does God turn away and go, well, good luck with that? No. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter two. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Do you see what Jesus does? Do you see what Jesus does when we abandon him? When we have a sin problem, when we have a rebellion problem, what does he do? He turns towards us. In fact, he doesn't just turn towards us, he comes and becomes like us, he comes and lives with us. What's he saying? I want to understand the world like you do. Let's fix this together. But it's not just on a cosmic level that something like this happens. There's an amazing story. It's recorded in a few of the Gospels. Jesus gets invited to, to dinner at a Pharisee's house. It's an interesting Pharisee. He's known as Simon the leper. And, and Jesus gets invited to dinner at his house because you know Jesus is now becoming a popular preacher and he's a famous person and so he gets invited to this Pharisee's house. Luke 7, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Can you just imagine the embarrassment factor in that room and that moment? I mean, Jesus is reclining at the table, so the table's low and, and everybody who's at the table is kind of lying on cushions and their feet are away from the table and they're eating and they're talking and then this woman comes in and she's just crying. And then the Bible says, I mean, can you just imagine how cringeworthy I often turn away when things are embarrassing. I, I hate to see other people being shamed. And so my instinct is to turn away. Often when something's on TV that I, that I'm, I just don't wanna watch it because it's just cringeworthy. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But what does Jesus do? You see, this Pharisee is trying to find all the reasons to turn away from this woman. Jesus actually turns to the Pharisee as well. And he says to her, who really needs a doctor, Simon? Sick people, not healthy people. And then he turns to her 
and he loves her and he affirms her and he tells everybody in the room what this woman has done will be remembered forever and ever. Do you see what Jesus did? He, both of them needed help in their relationship and he turns to both of them. He says, Simon, I need to turn to you and we need to talk about your pride. Woman, we need to talk about how you've been mishandled and mistreated and how that God actually does love you. So Jesus embodies this turning towards. I want to ask you this morning, in your relationships with your loved ones, when there's a crisis, do you turn towards? Who in your family at this moment, when your marriage and your relationship with your children, your broader family, who is it you need to turn towards that you've been turning away from? That you begin saying, you got yourself into this. You can get yourself out of it. Turning towards doesn't always mean approving of what the person does. It doesn't always mean saying it's okay, doesn't matter. But it is saying, I want to, I want to fix this with you. I want to take this journey with you. Have you ever imagined what it would be like if we turned towards our community out there and said to them, guys, we love you. And we know there's stuff going on in our community and, and we, want to, we, 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 we don't just wanna send a message, call the security company. We wanna help you. We wanna to turn towards you. Imagine a world where the foreigners are turned towards instead of chased away. Where those who are utterly, utterly different aren't rejected but are told, we want to find the solution to this thing with you. Imagine when nobody is an outcast. Every human relationship we have can be made better by turning towards. When I hear something on the news about some foreign country out there that has nothing to do with me, I can still turn towards it. I can still go, God, this is an important thing. There's brokenness here. And if there's some way I can help, I will. Turn towards. The second principle that Jesus gives, the Bible gives, and that Jesus lives out in, in making every relationship better, turn towards and then learn about. Learn about. Ignorance, we used to blame lack of information about ignorance, remember that? Now we have the internet. It hasn't fixed it, it hasn't fixed it. Why? Because most of the time we want to learn about other people so that we can find ways to turn away from them. But we must learn who people are and what they are about. I don't know if you remember the series a while back when we were talking about diversity and being in relationship with other people that are very different to us. Debbie said something really interesting. She said, nothing destroys disgust like intimacy. Nothing destroys, so often we, we, we turn away people because we don't know about them. 
But when we begin to learn, and this is gonna be a really terrible example, but you'll never forget it. When I grew up, if somebody vomited, I would just join them. <laughs> I mean, I just, I have a strong gag reflex, and if there's vomit in the room, I will, I, and I could never stop myself growing up. And then I had children. <laughs> I'm not joking. All of a sudden, I went from being somebody who could not keep it down when somebody else was sick to, to literally catching vomit in my hands and being okay with it. I can take it one level further than that, actually. <laughs> Rebecca was on soya milk and I was holding her above my head <laughs> and she threw up into my mouth. And I just gave her to Colleen and I just went to the bathroom and I rinsed my mouth. I, I know that's, but do you understand the principle there? That all of a sudden, this intimacy, I'd learned something. This person is dependent on me. Our lives are linked together and we, all of a sudden, the thing that was vile and disgusting is no longer, that's still gross, but it no longer separates us. Hebrews 4 tells us this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our hour of need. God himself comes into the world to learn, and I don't know how that works theologically, okay? To learn what it is like to be a human being. God himself, he, he, he comes to learn about us but this is, what's even more beautiful about that is that we can never stop learning about who God is and who other people are. Colleen and I have, uh, we all have those things that always, you know, even after 32 years. And about three months ago, I came to a sudden insight about something I had been doing all my life that didn't help. It took me 33 years. I love the story of Moses. Moses gets rescued from a genocide in a basket in the river. He, gets, he, gets, he becomes a, a prince, a grandkid of a pharaoh. <laughs> Imagine this level of spoiling that went on there. He becomes a grandchild of a pharaoh, but he still gets nursed by his own mother. He, he, he spends 40 years in the desert looking after sheep. He sees a burning bush. God talks to him out of a burning bush. He then goes back, he sees all those miracles in Egypt. He, he leads God's people across the Red Sea. The sea opens, they walk through, the closes on the Egyptians. He treks through the desert. God gives them food, he touches a rock, water comes out, there's manna. He's just seeing miracles all the time. And then in Exodus 33, God says, I'm done with these people. God says to Moses, Moses, I'm still gonna send you into the promised land, but these oaks, while we were talking on the mountain, 
built this calf. He says, I'm gonna send an angel ahead of you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna give you the land and all of that, but I'm not gonna go with you because I'm done with you guys. I'm gonna kill you. That's, if you don't believe me, go and read it. And then Moses and God get into a conversation. And, and, and the Bible says they talked as one friend talks to another. Please go and read it. Exodus 33. And, and the Bible says, I talk as one friend talks to another. And Moses says, God, if you don't go with me, I can't go. And, and they almost have this kind of bargaining thing going on. And then Moses says this, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. <laughs> Seriously, all, all the stuff had already happened. How can he say to God, teach me your ways? Because he realizes there's still more to learn. There's always more to learn. I've got to get to know God, otherwise he will never go with me. Folks, we've got to learn about. The truth is we live in a world where we can do this like never before. We can learn about other people like never before. We can know stuff on the internet, choose it well because some of it is lies, most of it is lies. But there's good stuff out there. We, look at us, 15 years ago, sitting here, you would have never been able to learn about a person from another culture. We would have just been full of whiteies. True story. And now we sit next to each other. We can learn. Because learning about other people helps us to love them and know them better. I need to land this plane. I mean, you can see I'm excited about this sermon. We need to turn towards. We need to learn about. And lastly, we need to act for. We need to act for. In, in a marriage context, this is, this is intimacy. This is physical touch. This is telling a person, I love you. This is washing the dishes even when you don't feel like it. This is that in marriage. But we can act for everybody. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He acted. He did something about his love. John 13 says this, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Where does that come from? Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. And he's telling them that you can't just theorize about love. You can't just say it's there. You must do things for one another. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What actions are you taking for your closest? What are those things that you do to show your family that you love them? When they say to you, do you feel like? Are you prepared to go, no, I don't feel like, but I will, gladly. I love the fact that we can act for each other that we can do things that will make our community better and safer. I love the fact that people on the other side of the world, I can truly act for them. 
the chances are the only thing I can really do for them is pray. But I can. Even my enemies, even the presidents of the countries I don't like. You see, I can act on behalf of everybody. When I hear about a disaster there or something there, I can give, I can pray. There's all sorts of things I can do, but I can't do nothing. I can act. Look, I honestly believe that if we learn this triangle, that, that it will become a triangle of shalom in all of our lives. To love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. To love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. If we turn to everybody. If we learn as much as we can about as many as we can. And as we act. And it may simply be a greeting. It may be a prayer. It may be something much bigger than that. But the truth is, if every human being did this, imagine what the world would look like. If one human being did this, imagine what the world looked like. He did, and it changed everything. Imagine if a whole community like us do it. Imagine what the world looks like. But I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna send you away with this blessing. May the Spirit of Christ empower us to love and serve our neighbors. As we invite them into our hearts and our homes, our lives and our schedules, may they come to understand through being loved by us that they are loved by God and can love him in return. We are more ready to do this than we realize. Go now in the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all